We're in Hebrews chapter 13 today, going back to our study of the book of Hebrews. The Word of God is so practical. Message is entitled Acceptable Service, the Ministry of Love. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that you would give us as your children understanding and a grasp on it, apply it to our lives, convict us where we don't love, where we need to grow in, in faith towards you that we might love like you did, like you do. And Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled this morning, that every one of us might be spirit-filled as listeners, that we be not just hearers of the word, but obedient to the word, Lord. And Lord, as a church, as you work in our lives individually, just like you're doing with Charlie, that you might even raise up more ministries to reach out and demonstrate the love of Christ here in Laramie and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The writer presented the great examples of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, gave us all those examples so that we're surrounded with this great cloud of witnesses that we know, witnesses to what? To faith. That we know that if we follow the Lord, we can live by faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I love reading Christian biographies. I love hearing stories of, of missionaries, of pastors. How did they make these decisions? How did they live a life that glorified the Lord? I love hearing, it's an encouragement to me. So we have chapter 11, and then we have the encouragement of faith in Hebrews chapter 12. And we come down to verse 28, and we see a therefore. The Lord did the same thing when he wrote to the Apostle Paul in Hebrews, or excuse me, wrote the book of Romans. He gave us 11 chapters of doctrine, of soteriology, of salvation. And then he comes at 12. He says, here's how you live it out. Now, you can go to some churches, and they say, well, we preach expositorily. And they get into the nuances of the Greek and the Hebrew, the Aramaic, whatever that portion of Scripture is written in. And then just leave it there. But even in the Old Testament, when they got up to preach, I believe it was Ezra who preached from a pulpit of wood. We are biblical. We don't have one of those plastic see-through things, right? Pulpit of wood. And he read the Scripture and then he applied it. He gave it its sense. How does it apply? How do I live that out? And God is serious about his believers ministering what they've received. Philippians chapter 2, 12, it says, work out. Now, work for, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That means there's going to be some decisions that we make about this basic ministry of loving people. You have it in there. You can quench the Holy Spirit. You can take injuries like the rest of the world does and just build walls and get bitter. Or like Pastor Hall is always saying in your ministry, when he preaches about, I know the, the, the ordination sermons he's preached here, he says, as pastors, you can get bitter or you can get better. As Christians, this is one of those shields of faith that's going to quench every fiery dart of the wicked one. Because more than anything, Satan can use bitterness and discouragement by how you've been treated by other believers. This last week I was listening to Andy Stanley and he made a really good point. The word Christian is a name that other people gave to us. 
We were called people the way by their people, but we called ourselves in the beginning disciples. We were disciples of Christ. And you can be a Christian and be a stumbling block. Well, I'm a Christian. That's easy. But the question is, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a follower? Are you under the discipline of the words of Jesus? And this instruction here, he's so serious about Look how he says this. In 1228, he says, Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God acceptable service with reverence and awe. In Romans, Paul comes to the end of 11 chapters of preaching on salvation. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, because of God's great mercy in giving us salvation, that you make a decision as his child to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto him. This is your spiritual service of worship. See, it's not about just going how many times you go to the church and the religious things you do. Just so you know, this is just half time. This is just a recess where we get reminded, we crawl up on the rock of Scripture, the high place of Scripture, and reminded we get our bearings again about how we worship God out there. That's the important worship. How do you reflect God in culture? How do you reflect God to your unsaved family members? How do you reflect God to those people you go to school with, those people that you work with? That's worship. What you think about, really think about God, shows out there when you're not surrounded by your buddies. When we're not singing, you know, great Savior together. It's easy here. Then you got to go out there. And this is just a reminder. But this important scripture, he's so serious about, listen to what he follows it up with. We may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. How come with reverence and awe? Because we remember the last verse. For our God is a consuming fire. He's serious about this, folks. What's he serious about? Doctrine? Yeah, God's serious about doctrine. He just gave us, you know, 11 chapters of doctrine. The foundation of who Christ is and what he's done for us. But the next step is how you carry that doctrine out. In the Christian life, you cannot divorce doctrine from behavior. What you believe ought to show. We'll look at it again in a moment, but 1 John 3.16, what did John say? Listen, children, let's not just love in our doctrinal statement. Oh, yes, loving people is part of what we believe. But in word and in deed, how do we carry that out? God's serious. How they reflect the love of Christ, how they reflect his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. In Matthew chapter 5, the great Sermon on the Mount, he said, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Not that they may see your good works and say, what a great Christian they are. You see, when you're really doing the works of God, there's no human explanation for them. They have to stop and give God the glory. One of my Bible studies, we're going through the book of Acts now. And Acts, even though they hated Jesus and they hated these people, they're trying to preach about Jesus. When a man who was at the temple all those years, crippled, was healed, they said, well, we can't explain this. 
We don't want to give God the glory. We want to give this man Jesus the glory, but we can't explain it. A notable miracle has been done. And what they noticed about the disciples, that they'd been with Jesus. Is that what people notice about us? That there's something supernatural flavor about the way we love, the way we forgive. And so he goes on to give us this, these practical commands He said in verse 1, let the love of the brethren continue. In this church in Hebrews, there are some people that they haven't quite trusted Christ. They've kind of come along. They've even maybe been persecuted along with the other real believers for taking that stand. But they're questioning. I'll tell you, it's hard for people that they've made that outside commitment. And so we begin to expect more from them. But we don't know their heart. We don't know if they've really trusted Christ. But we have expectations You know what? Expectations ruin relationships. The only one that's ever going to always live up to our expectations is who? Jesus Christ. So just leave off your expectations and just look at Jesus and love people. Maybe he was saying, and there's, there's two connotations here, to, you know, those people that are still your Hebrew brothers, even though they don't love Jesus and they're not following Jesus, You need to continue to love them. But if you just see a little brief, just a little brief theology about what Jesus thought of love, John 13, 34, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's told him, I'm going away. He said, what you need to do about that, a new command I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you love one another like this. By this, not by your doctrinal statement, not by your holy standards of living, but by this, the way you love one another, other people will know that you are my disciple, by your love. By your love. Do we see those challenges as opportunities to love people, to give mercy? I'll tell you what, in this, this political time, we just kind of got the idea that we know the right candidate, right? So we're always looking, and anybody disagrees with us, right? We do the same thing in people's actions because we just kind of think we're right. We've got the corner on right, and so if they would just rise up a little bit, then we could forgive them. Or when they come down and they grovel at our feet, is that how Jesus reached you? Oh, you had to come humbly. But he was so gracious in our life, wasn't he? To give us chance after chance. And he just kept pursuing us with his love until we finally realized who he was and what he'd done. This is what ought to be known about us. I tell you, I'm so thankful to be a part of this church because this is a loving church. It's a loving church. We need to grow more. Oh, amen, we need to grow more. And I know you as people, just demonstrated by Charlie, we're always looking for opportunities. How can we love better? Who else can we love? And God does that. We don't sit around in our elder meetings and try to strategize what's the next ministry we can make people do. We're just sitting here watching going, wow, God, what a parade. Do you know that, you may not know this, but there have been, over the years, several pastors who have been really injured by ornery churches that have come here and they found healing, not because of me, but because the way you love people. But we need love more. 
Paul's prayer for his precious church in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. He prayed for them that they would be rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That's not your love. That's Christ's love. That's grace. But it takes the decision on our part to love people. It's in there. But until you trust God enough to make a decision when he lays it on your heart, you're not going to know God's grace. You're going to know logic, but not God's grace. Paul, when he's writing how to be a great church in Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. What is that? How do we demonstrate a manner worthy of the, of the calling? Simple. Really simple. It's not great missionary endeavors. That'll come out of this. It's not great evangelistic campaigns. That'll come out of this. It's loving one another. By being worthy of the manner, or worthy of the calling means to be with all humility and gentleness, with patience, show tolerance for one another in love. That's great Christianity. Showing tolerance for one another. Why? Because some of us are still hooking with our horns, right? We haven't been polled yet. And some of you have been filing your teeth on those salt blocks Lord, leaving out there, and they're kind of sharp. You're biting how many people have been discouraged by other Christians and instead of looking to the Lord, they didn't realize they had other expectations and they just, they stumbled and they left fellowship because they didn't understand if you have your shield of faith, you always respond in love. And it's a decision. It's not automatic. It's not an emotion. It's just like Jesus said, or, or the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. In everything, what? Feel thankful? No, no. In everything, give thanks. It's an act of the will. The feeling thankful will follow when grace begins to flow, but sometimes you have to make that decision. You know why? Because Jesus did it for you. He kept forgiving you. He said, but you don't know, Pastor, what that person did to me. And I've never done something like that to somebody else. Oh, yes, you have. In fact, I guarantee, according to the Word of God, that you've been worse to somebody, that you're guilty of murder. So not me, Pastor. Oh, yes, the Bible says when Jesus died, all the world became guilty of what? Of the death of the Son of Jesus Christ. My sin nailed him there. Your sin nailed him there. And everything else that somebody might do to injure us, does that make it okay? No, it doesn't make it okay. It's still sin, but it pales in comparison. So Jesus gave that great illustration of mercy and forgiveness when he gave the parable of the fellow that he must have got a government loan because he owed the king millions. And he couldn't pay it back. His, his company went broke. And the king said, okay, to debtor's prison. I've always wondered about that concept, go to prison. You can't pay anything back while you're in prison. But anyway, that was the system. He's going to throw him in there. And he threw himself down on the ground. And he begged for mercy for the king because he had family, he had children. And the king had mercy and forgave him everything. And he went out and took his brother by the throat for 20 bucks. That's what we do when we won't forgive. We think, oh, but it's this big thing. And people even in the church are bitter because they don't have the shield of faith of just trust the Lord to love in spite of what's been done to them. Just love. That's your protection from bitterness. 
Because we think, well, but if I forgive, somebody's going to take advantage of me. Absolutely they will. Absolutely they will. They're going to take advantage of you. And everything we're going to talk about, you're going to find that what we have to do is we have to learn to trust God in everything. Everything. Yep, they'll take advantage of you. But what you'll find if you just continue to love, and I tell you, it's a decision. I had to make some decisions this week, and I'm studying this stuff. I'm saying, oh, man, i got to make some decisions. I pull back, pray. Right. Because we're still growing, aren't we? I, I asked my wife this morning if she's living what I'm preaching. Are you practicing what I'm preaching, Christy? Good, because, uh, you know, you're my example, right? She still loves me. That's amazing. It's easy to have a doctoral statement. It's something else to practice this, especially when you're injured. When somebody does something, another believer, high-handedly on purpose, we give, we give space to the world because they're the world. You know, they're gonna, they don't know any better. But with Christians, we hold them to the standard. We have different expectations, and they will always disappoint us. And you can be a bitter Christian, or you can be a Christian that begins to experience the supernatural love of Christ as it flows through you. As you learn to trust him that, okay, Lord, I'm going to be obedient. I don't know if this is going to turn out, but I'm just going to, I'm going to trust you. And the last verse of Ephesians 4 is amazing. It's where we get the balance. Be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one. Okay, I got that. I got it. We're supposed to forgive one another. But here's where you get the mental balance so you can do that. Even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. There's the balance. Anything my friend may do to me, anything my Christian brother might injure me in, cannot compare to the injury I've done to Jesus with my sin. It's personal. That's why I think God gets so personal about it. He says, listen, you need to serve this way. You need to love people this way with reverence in here because Jesus is watching you. And he's a consuming fire. God's serious about this, that we make decisions to love people. It's for our good. And so that we might be a reflection of his grace to lost people. 1 John 3, 16, by this we know love. That's what we're going to gather around the table today and celebrate Jesus' death on the cross, his shed blood for us, his sacrifice for us. This is how we know love. Because Jesus laid his life down for us, so we ought to lay down our lives for the brother. Whoa. See, because you've been partaker of the same love that Jesus had in his life. See, if you're willing to lay your life down for the Christian brothers and sisters, all the little stuff they do doesn't really compare, does it? Another one of those balancing scriptures. This is the potential that you have. It doesn't mean you've got to be close buddies with everybody. The Bible says as much as is within you, get along with all men. Some people, you know... John Edwards says the grace of God can live with some that others cannot. It's a wise statement. He wouldn't allow David uh, Brainerd, the great missionary to Native Americans, to marry his daughter. And his, David Brainerd was surprised by that. Why? He said, because I know my daughter. And the grace of God can live with some that others cannot. I don't want to wreck your ministry. I guess she was kind of ornery. <laughs> but that doesn't lessen our responsibility to lay our lives down for other people. You see, love is not just a feeling. It's a decision. 
It's the decision to respond. See, it's the ability to respond. It's responsibility primarily to Christians, but also to those that are lost around us so they have the opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, hey, if you have this world's goods, 1 John 3, 17, and you see your brother have a need and you close your heart, I've been in a church like that before. There's a fellow that had come to Bible college, a little country church, and he was going to Pillsbury, and he had a big family, and all of a sudden he couldn't go to Pillsbury anymore because he had to feed his family, and he was hurting. And the people in that church said, well, if we gave, then he wouldn't learn anything. Wow. Doesn't the Bible say something about that? Oh, yeah, it does. Whoever has this world good sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, How does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us love in deed and in truth, not just words. That's what we say. It's what we do. It's the decision. Secondly, verse 2, he says, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Strangers. See, in, in those days, if you were traveling and you were a believer, you wouldn't stay in a hotel because they didn't have those, but they did have inns. And inns are notorious for as brothels and as drinking places and partying places. And so it's not a place that a Christian would stay. And so when he's traveling, he'd have to go find some other believers. But you know who this guy is. And so you might be surprised if you help him and he doesn't do the right thing with all the money you help him with. And she says, not your responsibility. Say, but if we give them money, there's that much left. No, there's not. We're children of the king. The king does not have a bottom to his treasury. We're not going to run out of money. Now, does that have to be wise? That's right. Now, when people come here in America, we, have, we are the land of entitlements now. So people come down the road, and they, they don't plan I don't know how many times, you, they think it's the first time they've told me this, but they're even going from New York to Washington or Washington to New York, and the car broke down, they spent all their money fixing it, so now they have no money. The truth is, they plan on begging their way across, and so we have a plan for that. Laramie is a very gracious place. Individuals and churches like you, we give money to interfaith. And so we have a plan, and they can go down there, and they have to do a police check uh, to make sure we've, you know, we don't want to be helping kidnappers or somebody that's running from the law necessarily. Uh, and so we want to make sure we're wise in those things, but we give them help. They give them gas. They give them food, a place to stay because it gets pretty cold. Tough to stay outside in Laramie nine months a year. And so they help them that way. But when we find a believer, it's a whole other game. A couple of months ago, there's a fellow came, and, he had a car. He didn't ask for anything. He said, I just need help getting. I've got a job. And He said he's from Somalia. I said, Somalia? They don't like Christians very much in Somalia. Kind of like I was asking, are you a terrorist? And I said, here's what we do. And I got him all set up. And he, he said, but Pastor, I don't have my license with me, so I can't go down there. I said, oh, okay. And then he said this, but that's okay. Jesus 
is going to help me. And he said it in such humility. I'm like, whoa, wait, come here, brother. And I put my arms around him and said, oh, we're going to help you. And, and as we got to know him and we went and got him some food, Don got him some, some gas and found out that this young man as a child had watched whatever it was in his country, the Muslim extremists, cut the head off of his father. His mother lived in the States, and she's still having a struggle with it. I said, I'm so sorry, brother. What do we have is yours. But I would have missed the opportunity to, to stand by this hero if I just said, oh, well, that's what we do. Sorry, you don't meet the standard, so it's all we can do. We don't just blindly hand out cash. We're not the welfare system, we're a church. Our, our primary responsibility is to preach the gospel. But as we preach the gospel, what are we saying about Jesus? You know, we've been looking at ministry in West Laramie because a lot of those kids growing up in the trailers over there and the adults are too poor to come to this side of town. What do we do about that? So what do we do? We pray. We pray. Lord, what would you have us to do? Now it looks like this week the Lord will give us the property there on the river, bro, we're going to have, have our picnics there, Riverside Chapel, the symbol of God. The Spanish symbol of God in Colorado said, well, we're only going to give it to Larry Valley Chapel. We give it to somebody. How come? I don't know. I met the guy who was in charge one time. But what he knows about you is you love the ministers, not about you. So I don't know. Maybe that's where God's going to use it. There's a lot of needs out there. We don't, mount our, we don't jump on a horse and ride off in all directions. God has assignments for us, and if we're willing to love people, he'll increase that opportunity. He said, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and he's talking primarily about people that are suffering for their faith, but you know what? In America, there's a lot of people in prison. And I won't be surprised the way God is Raising up ministers, if somebody doesn't have a heart, we already have people that have a heart for older people. And so they have a ministry. And if you knew the guys that are doing this, you said, really? Those guys? That's right. It's God's call. Some of the toughest, strongest guys in our church are saying, we just want to go over here, what they used to call Bethesda. I think it's called Laramie Care Center now. We just want to minister to people. I'm like, wow, that must be the Lord. Because those guys don't look like they're the kind of guys that would do that, but they have a heart for it. So it won't surprise me if God begins to raise up Somebody to go minister in Rollins and here in our jail. But thats I don't have to worry about that. God will do that. The Bible says when you see a need, Jesus said when you see a need, what do you do? Pray. Pray about it. That the Lord would send forth laborers. He said not only the prisoners, but those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are also in the body. You know what it's like to suffer see somebody hungry, well, they're not a Christian brother. It doesn't matter. And this world is so silly in its rules. I told you before, we wanted to help some of the kids because some of the kids over in Linford School where my kids went to grade school, some of those kids come from families whose parents are so poor and so indigent they won't even fill out the paperwork so their kids can get free lunch. And so supposedly a lunch lady's hands are bound and so they give them a peanut butter sandwich and that's all they can give them by law. And so we found out about that, you did, and we, you said, we got to give to that. So we went over there, we want to feed kids. Oh, well, you're a church. Oh, yeah. Separation, church, and state. 
We don't want any votes. We don't want any power. We just want to give you some money. So we brought him some money. said, well, we'll have to check. So Don brought him a check for, I think, $3,000. It's from a church, you know. It's just money. Feed the kids. Okay, well, we'll check with the administration. He said, yeah, yeah, we can feed kids. So Don called him back after about four months. You guys need more money? Oh, no, we still got it. Why? I don't know. And then we begin to see, well, maybe that's because God is laying it on us. We actually have to be there and hand food to kids and to adults and help feed people. You say, Pastor, don't we have enough ministries going on around here? Well, some people would think so, but they're looking at the wrong thing. You might look at our bank statement and say, you don't have that kind of money. Nope, don't. My father is rich. And houses and lands, he holdeth the wealth of his world in his hands. He's never going to run out. What he's looking for is servants that are just willing to go and follow what he's leading them to do. He says, you ought to have empathy because you know what it's like to be hungry. How would you feel if it was your kids that were hungry? Well, they should spend their money on something besides alcohol and drugs. Really? What if you're the little kid? He said, you're still in the body. You understand what it's like to be a human and suffer. Then you ought to open up your, your bowels of compassion and have mercy. Well, that doesn't fit our ministry category. You know, that's the amazing thing. God is always looking to do a new thing because he's the God of creation. He says, but you need to love the brothers, the sisters. You need to love strangers that you may not know. And, and you might be so surprised in your love that you find out later that you entertain an angel unawares. All the concordances used Abraham as the guy who entertained angels unaware. Well, he wasn't unaware. He fell down and worshipped him. So did Lot. Just being available, you might get a great opportunity. And fourthly, he says... You need to love your family. That is primary ministry. Before you become anybody in the church, before you find ministry there, it's loving your family. How do you love your family? He said, marriage is to be held in an honor among all, among the single and among those that are married. We live in a culture of sex and perversion. You see where our culture's in. A, a culture begins to die, it becomes like our culture. It has the same attitudes. Look at Romans 1, 19 and following. They don't know how to love. It's perverted. And they call good evil and they call evil good. But we as believers, it's not so much about preaching what they're doing wrong. It's about you, us, holding marriage and honoring it. The home, the family, the home is the first institution that God established. It'll be the, it's the center of ministry where people can come into your home and see how a Christian wife treats her husband, a Christian husband treats his wife, how they raise their children, how they love their children, what their priorities are. It's primary. But it starts with honoring. You say, well, I'm single. I can kind of date around. You better not. It doesn't matter if I sleep with somebody. How are we going to know if we're going to be compatible if we don't sleep together? That is the lie of Satan. You do it, you destroy your home in the future. You do. Because you need to even if God forgives sins, he does forgive your sin. It's not like the one sin doesn't, but you have scars. And the Bible says so many times in the Proverbs, says, if you, 
if you do this, you enter into these immoral sexual relationships, you sin against yourself. You want problems in your future marriage? Just sleep around. Do what the world does. It's no mystery to me why people, it is to them, they've lived together for five years, they get married and they get divorced. Why? Oh, well, now you have expectations. We're married before you had no expectations. Now you got to have expectations and they don't have a foundation of Jesus to base the troubles on and blows up. But here's the big one. It says, the marriage bed is to be undefiled. How do you do that? Holiness, purity. For fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. You know, back in, I think it was like 88 when we had this great harvest of, of college people coming to the Lord, like 200 people in a year. And you know what they wanted to do? Every Sunday night after church, we'd have church in the evening, get old, down about 7, they'd come to our house until 2 or 3 in the morning. Well, they wanted to fellowship, but what they wanted to see is, how do I treat Christy? How does Christy respond to me? They asked questions, well, how do you know what to do with your kids? Because they were coming to the Lord and they were saying, okay, we see what the Bible says and we don't have that example in front of us. How do we make those decisions? That's why we need to be inviting people in. Find new believers now, but just right here, invite them into your home. You will get to know somebody different when you have them in your home and that you go to their home than you do if you never have that kind of fellowship with them. But it starts with having high regard for your home. Then he says, don't love money. Don't love money. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. How? Being content with what you have, that's the decision, isn't it? Just in case you didn't know, fellas, you're not what you drive. That's what all the car companies, well, you're a lot cooler if you drive a Camaro or even cooler than that if you can drive a European sports car or if you got a big, huge truck with big tires. That's who I am. No. It's just transportation. That's all it is. So be content with what you have. Make sure your character is free from love of money. Why? You don't need it simple you don't need it because jesus said i will never leave you nor will i ever forsake you wow that's an answer isn't it and i tell you what if you have all these other ministries going on you won't have a problem because you'll have me letting go of that money all the time because your brothers are going to have need and as you make decision and the first time it'll be kind of like oh lord that can't be you that got to be the devil that's telling me to give that amount of money some people say, give till it hurts. No, give till it starts feeling good. It hurts when you start because it owns you. And you say, but I'm, Lord, you know what I'm trying to do for you? I'm trying to get all I can, and then I'm going to can all I get, and I'm going to sit on the lid, and Lord, to peel that lid off, you know there's no more money out there. No, you don't tell the Lord that. You know the truth, but now comes the part of applying the truth. And God's going to make sure that you're his treasure, not that. And so what does he do? He gives us opportunities for our brothers and sisters, to give to them when they're hurting. It becomes a joy. Now, some are just gifted in this area. Some are just gifted, but the Bible says we need to be like them. We see those gifted people that are just hilarious givers. Go hang out with them. 
They have something to share with you. So, oh, I don't want that gift. Oh, no, no, that's a special gift. See, the Bible says if we learn to give like they're giving in their spiritual giftedness, then we all come to the place of the maturity, the stature of Christ, that we're like Christ in our giving, in our sharing truth, in our loving, in our forgiving. And so if you want free of this greed, this love of money, just start loving the brethren. Love strangers. You might be driving by Walmart. The season is coming. They're going to be standing out there. It's kind of a game with me. I like to see which car they're driving because they, they have their backpack and their dog like they're walking across the Laramie Plains. But look, oh, there's their car right there. Sometimes I've seen them taking shifts. Okay, you put to, you, here's the dog. Take my backpack. Oh, here, you can use my backpack. And then they go get in the car and they sleep and the next guy takes his spot. It's like shifts and begging. But you know what? Sometimes you'll be driving by and the Lord will say, you go give that guy 20 bucks and tell him, praise the Lord. But I don't know that guy, Lord. What if he's going to misspend it? God's just working on your heart. Just look at it that way. He's just working on your heart. I'm going to say every time, when God tells you, you go do it. Just give it away. And they say, oh, thank you. Say, no, you thank the Lord. You thank the Lord. And you know if you're Loving the least of these, there's always going to be an opportunity to give. We have offerings all the time. And as your shepherd, sometimes I just feel like, oh, another offering. I hope that, That's the wrong attitude on my part. People say, oh, I'll go to church about giving. That's right, because that's who God made us. He wants us to be like him, just hilarious givers. And so we always tell you, there's no pressure. We're not going to lock the doors if you don't give enough. You know, not one of those kind of deals. Just, hey, you pray. God tells you to give, you give. That's it. And you are an amazing giving church. And what God does with that, whether it's your tithe or special offerings or opportunities to give, he's loosing our hands off. The treasures of this world are going to burn and dissolve. And Jesus becomes our treasure. And then if you're married, why? There's no, oper- there's no end of opportunity of spending money, is there? Christy's always coming home, she says, and she, she had me buy this cabinet. We were down at a, we love to go to flea markets. We love to go to flea markets <laughs> and see what deals there are. And there's this cabinet. She says, oh, I just really like that cabinet. Look at this thing. Uh, okay, it looked like it came out of Kmart somewhere. I don't know. Oh, no, that'd be perfect right here. Could you just carry it out for me? Yeah. She's made a, <laughs> she's made a new resolution. She's not going to buy anything I can't carry, so I've got to keep lifting And, she, and I put it in there. I'm like, okay, yeah, it looks good. I, I would have never thought of that. You know why? Not my deal. She's making our house a home. And the Bible says to me as a husband, she's my priority. So God, until God changes her out about buying stuff, that I just got to do what God tells me to do and take care of her. And I'm telling you guys that. Your wife ought to look better than you in the clothes she wears. You give her everything she needs for that home as much as you can. But there's opportunity, isn't there? So you to free up your, and just trust the Lord. Why? Because Jesus said, you're not going to run out. He's never going to leave you because you gave too much. You loved your family too much. You love strangers too much. You love the brethren too much. Oh, I'm sorry. You get to heaven and say, well, you know, I'm sorry, Paul, but you, you know, you guys in that church, you gave too much, so there's not as much blessing left. We used up some of the treasures of heaven. 
No, that's never going to happen, is it? But what is going to happen is sometimes God's going to have to show up supernaturally and provide for you. Yeah. You know how God increases our love for him? When we trust him enough to make risky decisions. So the world looks risky. It's really not risky when we're looking at him. We trust him. We say, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. If I, if I give this tithe, I won't be. I'm putting you first, Lord. And so if I, if I give this what you put on my heart, there's not enough. And then God has to show up supernaturally because you were obedient. What happens to your love? You say, oh, how great is our God. When he has to protect you or provide for you supernaturally, your love grows for him. That's what he wants. He wants your worship to encourage. He wants that love of his to flow out of you that other people get splashed on by the water of life. And they say, how can you have this kind of hope in these kind of times? Because my God is a great God. So that we might confidently say, God is my protector. God is the one taking care of me. He is my God. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid what man can do to me. Father, we thank you for the instruction of Scripture that you have put this love in us as your children. You have put that grace in us. And you give us opportunities, even tests, that we might be obedient and love people like you loved us and give to people like you give over and over and over to us or that we might grow in our love for you that our worship see those things and glorify you and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus name amen